Hebrews 11, um, starting in verse 17. And then also, if you would like, you can go ahead and put your finger in Genesis 22. We're not going to read it here at the beginning, but um, we will spend some significant time there throughout uh, the morning. So, Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. I'm going to read those three verses for you, and then um, I'm going to ask you to pray. Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. It says, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Um, If you would, go ahead and just pray for me um, that the word of God would be clear, um, it would be from his word, um, and that I would um, have peace and humility as I share it. So go ahead and pray for me. And then go ahead and pray for yourself, um, that God would teach you that your heart and mind would be centered on him in these next few moments and centered on his word. Um, so go ahead and pray for yourself. Well, Father, we love you. We trust you. Teach us. These next few moments. Amen. Well, if I were to ask you, um, what is the thing that is most precious to you? What would you say? The thing, like, think about the thing that you would find your worth in, something that may even uh, define who you are. I was actually telling Cal Smith earlier. Um, he was like, I didn't text you after the game because I figured you got a lot. And I did. I got like 40-something text messages. And I was like, I don't know if that's a good thing that what I am known for in my identity is the Astros. I'll pray about that later. But, um, but what would you say? The thing that you find your worth in, the thing that you, your world seems to revolve around, maybe for some of us it's our career, uh, maybe for some of us it's, it's the way we look, the way we dress, the, our beauty, um, not me, but when you look in the mirror, um, that's kind of how you determine how you feel that day. Maybe it's your kids, right? The kind of people that they're developing into Um, their future, their success, that their success is your success. It could be your reputation, that you like to be seen a certain way. It could be your intellect, that no matter what, you know that you can out-argue and out-smart anyone around you. Maybe it's not something that you have right now, but it's some expectation you have for the future, for your children, for your marriage, for your career. It could be your iPhone, that if we took your iPhone away, you would know how to operate throughout the day. Now, here's the question that we have to answer. And it's the question that we see Abraham answer in our story, in our text today. Would you be willing to sacrifice the thing that is most precious to you if God asked you to do that? That's the question that we see. And today we wrap up, like I said, Abraham's section in Hebrews 11. We have been moving through a series called Commendable Faith where we are looking at these saints of the Old Testament and asking the question, why does God commend Their faith, we've seen the faith of Abel, we've seen the faith of Enoch, that was a fun one, we've seen the faith of Noah, Abraham, and 
Sarah, Sarah, in each of those stories, we have seen not that their faith is perfect, and that's important, not that their faith is perfect, but that their faith is assured in their God, that in the midst of their discontentment with life in both the world and their circumstances, they have found their hope and assurance in their creator. And today we see the ultimate test of faith with Abraham, with Abraham. So go with me to Genesis 22. We're going to look at this story. Um, Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. And I purposely do not have it on the screen today because I would like you to open up your Bible and see this, okay? Uh, See this story. Genesis 22, I'm just going to read verse 1. It says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. So first it says, After these things. So what are these things. Well, it's everything up to this moment, that this moment is really the conclusion to Abraham's narrative in the Old Testament, and he has had a very long and eventful life. He's over 100 years old. Um, It's been a life of disappointment, as he wanted to have a kid, but God just did not allow him to have one. It's been a life of hope that God promised, hey, you're going to have a child. And then it was two and a half decades before that even happened. It's been a life full of hurt. We haven't really talked about all of Abraham's stories, but there has been a lot of broken relationships along the way to this point. It's been a life of blessing. God has finally provided a kid. And at this moment, later in his life, he's actually in a really good place here. Finally, right? Abraham is in a good place. God has provided the son uh, that he has promised. His son Isaac, which means laughter because he's brought joy into Sarah and Abraham's life. But not only that, All of his life, he's been a sojourner, right? He's been going from place to place, wandering through life with no home, but trusting that God is taking taking him somewhere. And now God has allowed him to settle in this moment. In the last chapter, we're not going to read it, but he plants a tree. What happens when you plant a tree in your yard? You're not going anywhere, right? I remember several months ago when so many of you helped us plant a tree in our yard, and someone was like, they're sweating, they're like, you're not moving anytime soon. I said, nope, we just planted a tree. Guess we're staying, right? Um, Well, finally, Abraham is settled. He's on the Mediterranean Sea, literally where people go to vacation. And then, when everything seems good, Abraham puts a test in front of him. And both Genesis and Hebrews confirms this. Hebrews says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested. And then Genesis says, after these things, God tested Abraham which makes some of us pause, right, and go, wait. So God really does test us? Does God really test us? And the answer is yes, right? He does test us. The New Testament talks about this in James 1. He says, count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the reality is, is, Scripture says, that God does test our faith, and we have to understand that when God tests us, it isn't God just being mean to us. God isn't picking on us, but James says that the testing of our faith leads to steadfastness, which when it has its full effect, is God perfecting us, that we are complete before him. It's his way of maturing us in our faith. God tells the Israelites in Deuteronomy 8.16, he says, I led you through the great and terrifying wilderness, which God calls that wilderness terrifying, with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. And then he says the why, that he might humble you and test you 
to do you good in the end, that God tests us because he cares. And he is doing this with Abraham to perfect him. And this moment, I'm going to be honest, it might seem extreme as we walk throughout this story. So he's literally asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. Think about that. But in his providence, God knows that the perfecting of Abraham's faith requires an extreme ask, and it's no different for us, right? That God will test our faith with our possessions, with our families, with our future, that he will allow extreme circumstances in order to perfect our faith, to mature us. I remember a year ago, and this isn't something that I've talked a lot about on Sunday morning, but a year ago when we, Katie and I, were in the midst of one of the hardest seasons of our lives, I remember asking God why. Right? Why did you allow this to happen? Really? <laughs> and now as I look back, I have more confidence today in my God than I ever have. That I trust him more than any other time in life because the testing of our faith has molded us. And it's the same with you. And in this moment, God is going to test Abraham to perfect his faith. And Abraham honestly responds pretty well throughout this whole thing. He's mature at this point. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham. (laughs) And he said, here I am. I love that it has an explanation at this. Abraham. Yes, God. Right? Like, and what's cool is his response is immediate. You could probably do a whole sermon on that, that there is an instant responsiveness to God from Abraham. Well, then we get to verse two, and God lays out the plan. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I shall tell you. You see what he just said? God, take, Abraham, take your son, the only son you love, and offer him, right? Offer him as an olah. So there were five different offerings in the Old Testament. And Ola was known as a burnt offering, meaning you would burn the whole thing. It was the offering that you would give for the atonement of sin. We'll talk more about that later. But here's the test. Abraham, will you take the thing that you love more than anything? Will you take your son and offer him up to me? And you know, I got to this point in my study this week, and I got absolutely stuck. I was stuck. Because honestly, I was like, what do I say about this? (laughs) What do I say? Like, this is where we move from the figurative to the literal, right? Like, we're not talking about an iPhone here. That was a cute little opening, right? But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Abraham literally sacrificing his son. And for those of you that have have children, and part of the, you know, it was hard this week because I don't have kids, but for those of you that do, I mean, would you do that? Would you? I mean, read the text as it is. Let's not move past truly understanding what God is asking of Abraham here. God has finally given him a son, only for God to ask him to sacrifice that son. Now, what we will see in the next few moments is as much true for Abraham as it is for us, that what we deem to be unfair in this moment is actually the moments that shape us to be exactly who God has perfected, wants us, who God wants us to be, right? That in God's providence, the moments of trial and suffering can shape our affections and faith to a level of understanding that we never thought possible. So look at verse three. It says, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, 
and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Okay, verse four, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. So what does Abraham do? Abraham obeys and it's it's instant. Here was the problem for me as I worked through this text. It's almost eerie, right? As you read this. I mean, he gets an early start to the journey. (laughs) I mean, does that weird you out a little bit? (laughs) He wakes up early, he cuts up wood, he saddles up his donkey, he does all this prep, and you're like, what is happening here? God, you sound crazy. Abraham, you sound crazy. What in the world is going on here? What is going on in Abraham's mind? That's the question. What is going on in Abraham's mind? It says he rides for three days. Three days. What's he thinking about? during those three days, right? It's interesting. Hebrews 11 tells us what he's thinking. So go back to Hebrews chapter 11, and I want us to look at this. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 17 again. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said through Isaac, Shall your offspring be Name. Now, so far, I haven't told you anything that you don't know, right? All that told us was that he was about to sacrifice his son, even though that it's through Isaac that all the nations would be blessed. And if it were me or you in 2022, what do you think our response would be? God, are you sure? Are you sure? That doesn't logically make sense. We would be, try to be rational with God. God, you said all the nations would be blessed through my offspring. Isaac is my offspring, and so if he is dead, then how are the nations going to be blessed? Like, maybe you should huddle up with your angels, figure this out, and then come back to me, right? That's what we would say. And if it were me or you, we would argue with God based on our own reason. How often do we do that? God, that doesn't make sense, so I'm not going to do it. But then we get to verse 19, and it says, He considered, so what was Abraham thinking? He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So what's going on in Abraham's mind? He considered, he reasoned. And here's what he reasoned. God told me that I'm going to have generations come from my offspring that will bless the whole world, and God told me to kill my son. I guess God's just going to bring him back to life then. That's what he's thinking. And here's why. Because Abraham has seen, he's been tested, and his faith has been perfected, and he has seen God be faithful over and over and over again. So I'm going to obey even when it doesn't make sense. The details are not for me to worry about. I don't understand how it all works, but God, everything I have is in your hands. Like really, how many times have you been in life where you look around and you go, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why, God, you've allowed this to happen. And there will be many moments in our lives where we are faced with the eternal question, God, do I really trust you with my life, with the lives of those that I love? Do, do I really trust you? And in those moments, we can tend to feel really small. But if we have faith, God will feel infinitely big because we realize just how dependent on him we actually are. You ever been in those moments? And in those moments, all you will have is God's people, God's word, and the Holy Spirit within you. Now, look at verse 5 back in Genesis. Look at verse 5 back in Genesis. It says, Then Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. 
And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the hand from his hand, the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together, verse 7. And Isaac said to his father, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? See, Isaac's a sharp kid. They've probably done this many times before. So look at verse 8. It says, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went, both of them, together. Now, I don't think Abraham is trying to be mischievous here, right? As it's like, where's the ram? And he's like, I don't know, winky face, right? He's, he's, he's not trying to trick Isaac. I think he's being honest. I don't understand the mechanics here, Isaac. But I trust the words of God even when I don't understand. Look at verse 9. It says, when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, people much smarter than me have Isaac around the age of 15 to 20 here. We haven't really talked much about Isaac and how he might be feeling in this moment. So here's the question. Do you think Isaac would have physically been able to overpower Abraham at this point in his life? Yeah, last week, Hebrews called Abraham as good as dead, right? I mean, I, I think that he's probably not that strong. And so you can't be six and carry up wood of a mountain. So Isaac's physically at least able to do that. So could Isaac have gotten out of this situation? Probably. But what you see here is a son who fully trusts in his father and God, both of them. Now look at verse 10. It says, Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. God let it go that far. He let it go that far. I mean, think about all the moments that God could have stopped this. The moment that Abraham woke up early in the morning. Sorry, just kidding, bro. The moment that he saddles up his donkey. The the moment that he cuts the wood. (laughs) Halfway through the three days ride. I mean, Okay, Abraham, you showed me that you're willing. You can turn back now. When they started carrying the wood up the mountain, when he tied up Isaac, all the moments that God could have stopped this. But God goes all the way to the very last moment. Now look at verse 11. It says, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And in this moment, think about it, there is assurance here. There's assurance for Abraham that Abraham can know that no matter what, doesn't matter what God will ask of me, I trust him and my God will provide that Abraham can know without a shadow of of a doubt, I literally have surrendered everything. God, there is nothing more precious than you. And then God provides a ram for the offering. Verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Look at verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring 
shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. I want you to especially notice verse 17. God says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring. That Abraham has reached the point in his relationship and his journey that God, with God, that he has a mature faith before God and God says, I'm going to bless you. Now I'm going to bless you. This is my timing and now we move. This happens all the time with us, right? All the time. I remember when I was a, I was a young kid in college, didn't know where God was going to take me or what I was going to do in life, and I accepted his job, or God called me to be the youth minister in Holland, Texas, right? Which is right by Salado. It's a tiny town. And at that point in my life, I had all these arrogant ideas about what ministry was, about what a youth minister was supposed to be, about what a church was supposed to be. And I showed up expecting about 40 or 50 kids, and there was four. There was four. And I was like, uh, what do I do now? Right? And for about six months, there was only four students. And I had a point where I was like, God, what are you doing? What, what am I doing? Like three times a week, sometimes four or five, I would make that 20 to 30 minute drive, and I would just be like, why am I doing this? Why, why am I doing this? And I was meeting with a friend of mine, a mentor. His name was Jason. Um, and I was complaining to him <laughs> because I was arrogant. I was complaining to him, and he said, God has given you four. That may, all be, that may be all that he trusts you with right now. And then, fast forward several years later, and I was on a stage in front of 700 college students, and I didn't care at all. Fast forward to last year, right? Renewal Church is growing, and, there were, and you may not know this, there were conversations happening where I was potentially going to be the next lead pastor of the church plant. And God shut all of that down. All of that down. Because it wasn't ready. And there was a point during the sabbatical where I had to come face to face with the reality of, and all of us have to come face to face with this, do I really trust God with my life, with my marriage, with my future? I remember calling a friend of mine. I know I'm, I'm talking about myself more than usual, but this is a point. Um, who, I called a friend of mine who lives in Alabama, and I said, yeah, I don't think I'll ever be a pastor again. Like, I, th- I think it's done. And he said, like he cut me off, he said, stop. <laughs> he said, God isn't done with you yet. And it wasn't until I felt like I had surrendered every aspect of my life, my marriage, and my identity as a pastor that I truly had peace. And it was a season where I'd experienced God like I'd never, never felt before. Because it's in the desert where God meets us. And it's in the desert where God develops us. And so for Abraham, he says, even Isaac, I will give him up. Only then can you see the true heart of God. And in that moment, you will see God for what he is, that he is faithful. I love Psalm 25, 14. You can just write it down. It says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. That word friendship, it can be translated to mean secret. Because what do friends do? They share secrets, right? Remember those times in junior high? You will know his heart. But this story is, is more than just, yeah, God meets us in hard times and he asks us to do hard things. The Bible is connected from Genesis to Revelation. So go with me to Galatians 3. Go with me to Galatians 3. We're going to see why God asked him to sacrifice his son. Galatians 3, verse 8. 
Paul says in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Isn't that interesting? It says God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Abraham heard the gospel before anyone else. What in the world does that mean? Well, look at verse 16. Go down to verse 16. It says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. Paul points out that the word offspring is singular. It's referring to one, that what he told Abraham is that I'm going to bless the world through your offspring and your offspring is Christ. Jesus talked about this, actually. He gave his perspective on what that means. So go to John 8, 54. Um, and this moment made a lot of people mad. And this, uh, a lot of people wanted to kill Jesus after this moment. But look at John 8, 54. Jesus says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. And Jesus says, I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. And here's what he says in 56. Your father Abraham, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Your father Abraham, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he said about Abraham, he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And here's what he said. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus says, there was a day before Abraham, your father, that he saw my day, and he rejoiced. See, there's something interesting about a story in Genesis 22, about the mount, about Mount Moriah, where Abraham and Isaac are standing on, where he sacrificed this ram instead of his son, that this is called Mount Moriah. Now remember verse 14, when Abraham says, Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. As it is said this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. You only hear about this mount one other time. In 2 Chronicles 3.1, where it says, Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. This is the mountain where hundreds of years later, they would establish Jerusalem. And it's also where they would build the temple. And so when they would call people to worship at the temple, they would blow a ram's horn. Why? Because God provided a ram for Abraham on that mountain. And so when they would blow that horn, when the uh, the ram's horn would blow, they would come to the temple and they would sacrifice an animal. It was a picture of someone will shed his blood in my place. And in this moment, we have a foreshadow of a son and a father climbing a mountain. That's what's happening here. That just like Isaac, Jesus said, Jesus would walk towards the temple of Jerusalem and complete submission to his father. Just like Isaac, Jesus would walk towards the temple and complete submission to his father. Jesus said, I do nothing apart from my father's will. Abraham laid the wood on the back of his son just like Jesus would take the wood on his back both instruments of their death. And just like Isaac, it was his father that planned to sacrifice him. What's interesting 
is that neither son cried out in defiance. Isaac had complete trust in his father, just like Jesus had complete trust in his father as they climbed that mountain. But when it's time for Abraham to sacrifice his son, God stops him, right? And Abraham calls the mountain, the Lord will provide. But when Jesus is on that cross, did God stop? No. Jesus dies as a sacrifice. The father sacrifices his son. Now, you ever wonder why? Why? Why didn't God stop it? Why did God let his son die? Well, go with me to Genesis 15. I know we're going all over the place. Go to Genesis 15. This is the moment where we see the covenant begin with Abraham and God. I won't go through the whole story. In fact, Kyle Smith gave a sermon about over this for a year ago. You can look it up on our website, and it's excellent. But basically, Abraham comes to God in this moment, and he says, hey, you have made a promise to me, but I don't have a kid yet. Why should I trust you? And God tells him, hey, gather a bunch of animals, cut them into pieces, and make an aisle. I know, it sounds crazy. Well, hear me out. And this was the practice of making a covenant, right? When you made a covenant with someone during this time, you didn't just sign your name, but you acted out the consequences of what would happen if you broke your commitment. This was called passing through the pieces, that you would take an animal, cut it up, uh, cut it up in half, and you would walk through the pieces of that animal. It would happen with lord and peasants all the time, that the lord would promise to help and to, to do good for the peasant, and the peasant would swear loyalty to the lord, and they would swear loyalty to one another. And the idea was that if either of them broke their commitment, that they would die. <laughs> they would act out the, the practice of what they are doing, that they are acting out the curse of the covenant. So in Genesis 15, the intention is for God and Abraham to make a covenant together by walking through the pieces. And if either of them would break their vow, they would be declaring, may this happen to me, may I be torn in two. But when it comes time for them to pass through the pieces together, something pretty insane happens in Genesis 15, 12. Genesis 15, 12, it says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him, that God makes Abraham sleep. And then God shows up. And what he does in verse 17 is one of the most important moments in all of Scripture. Genesis 15, 17, it says, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch pass between the pieces. And many times when God was present in the Old Testament, there would be fire and smoke. It was the burning holiness of God and the mystery of God. And God doesn't look at a sleeping Abraham and say, hey, it's time to get up. It's time to do this thing. No. What does God do? He passes through the pieces alone. And there we have the heart of the gospel. That by passing through the pieces Alone, God is saying, Abraham, if I break my covenant to you, then may this be done to me. May I die. And Abraham, if you break your covenant to me, if you disobey me, may this be done to me. May I die. May the God of the universe be ripped apart. And that's exactly what happens, right? Because do we keep God's commandments? No. Does he keep his promise to us? Yes. 
that the story of the Old Testament is God's faithfulness to his people when they are unfaithful to him. And thousands of years later, God incarnate, Jesus, took the punishment for us on Mount Moriah, the place where God provides. And in John 19.30, when he says, it is finished, when it was all said and done, the offspring of Abraham was sacrificed. The offspring of Abraham was sacrificed. See, Isaac is a picture of the sacrifice to come. That God sacrificed his son, God sacrificed his son so that we would be blessed, so that our sins would be forgiven. That's why in Matthew 1, it says in the very first, very first verse of, the whole, of all the Gospels, Matthew 1, 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of who? Abraham. The son of Abraham. That's why when God comes to Mary and says, hey, you're to be with child, she sings. In Luke 1, she says, he has helped his servant Israel to remember in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So who does she say this offspring belongs to? She says, this is Abraham's child. And remember what Hebrews says about Abraham, that he considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead because ultimately that is what God did with the offspring of Abraham. He rose from the grave. So the big question is, why is Abraham commended? Because he believed that God could raise his son from the grave. By faith. Isn't that interesting? He believed that God could raise his son from the grave, which figuratively speaking, what does Hebrews say? He did. He did. So the question for us, you want to be commended for your faith, you, you, what does it mean to live by faith? Do you believe that God could raise his son from the grave? Do you believe that Jesus died and rose Again, because if you believe that, then there is nothing, not career, not children, not the ambition for a specific thing or anything in life. There is nothing that can compare to the joy of knowing the risen Savior. He is infinitely better. So what's the point of all of this? This crazy, almost eerie story in Genesis 22. It's about our faith and God perfecting us and God testing us, yes. But even more than that, it's to declare, God, it's God declaring in his providence, my son will rise from the dead and all of our sins, your sins will be forgiven. That it's more than just God asking Abraham to do something that we think is kind of weird. No, God is providing a remembering. I will provide. I will provide that figuratively speaking, the son of Abraham rose from the grave. And now we, the nations, you know that? You're the nations. You're the Gentiles. We are blessed through the offspring of Abraham because he rose from the grave. (laughs) 